This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Is this how it ends? Today was a dark day in the history of the United States Capitol. Donald Trump's presidency in its closing days. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be the president and the vice president. A 3 a.m. joint session of Congress approves the final count of Joe Biden's electoral victory. The announcement of the state of the vote. After an unimaginable delay when the count was stopped by a mob of Trump supporters who breached the U.S. Capitol. As flash grenades going off on the inauguration balcony, we're seeing flash grenades going off over and over again. Today on our podcast, The Morning After. A Trump veteran, Mick Mulvaney, was acting chief of staff in the White House for more than a year. Do you feel at all, in retrospect, that you were an enabler? We didn't sign up for what you saw last night. We signed up for for making America great again. Why, as of today, the former insider is out of the administration for good on his own terms. When the president of the United States encourages people to interrupt a constitutional process and violently have an insurrection against the government of the United States, then nothing is off the table in terms of the discussion that comes after that. On the ground in Washington, attempting to make sense of yesterday's chaos, CNBC's Eamon Javers. There is sort of a nascent separatist effort here in the United States, and and we have seen it before. We saw it in the Civil War. We haven't seen it since then. And entrepreneur and author John Hope Bryant with a different perspective. This is nothing more than a symptom of the problem. And so I don't think that this is a separatist movement. We need to put nutcases in jail. And what's on the line for democracy? America is an idea. She's not a country. We can make her whatever we want to make her. And yesterday we made her a mockery. We made it a mockery of our democracy. It's Thursday, January 7th, 2021. Squawk Pot begins right now. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And the sun is coming up this morning after an incredibly difficult day and night in Washington, D.C., the seat of democracy for the nation and the world. Those troubles not reflected on Wall Street, at least not as far as the markets are concerned. Through all the incredible and terrible scenes from yesterday, the stock market actually continued to make new highs. Andrew. Okay, thanks, Becky. Earlier this morning, uh, what has already become uh, ceremonially uh, officially official at uh, 3.41 a.m., Vice President Pence read the electoral uh, vote count, acknowledging that President-elect Biden will be the next president. We're going to get straight over to Eamon Javers. Eamon. Yeah, Andrew, it was an awful and tragic day in Washington, D.C. yesterday. But in the end, uh, it came to a conclusion just as the Constitution said it must with Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, officially announcing the results of the election, announcing his own defeat and the victory of Joe Biden. Here's that moment. The announcement of the state of the vote by the president of the Senate shall be deemed a sufficient declaration of the person's elected president and Vice President of the United States, each for the term beginning on the 20th day of January, 2021. Now, just minutes after that, we had a statement online on Twitter from Dan Scavino. He's the social media director at the White House. The president, of course, has been banned from Twitter uh, for election misinformation and inciting violence. So the president was not able to issue a tweet on his own. Dan Scavino issuing this tweet on the president's behalf. He says, even though I totally disagree with the outcome of the election and the facts bear me out, nevertheless, there will be an orderly transition on January 20th. I have always said we would continue our fight to ensure that only legal votes were counted. While this represents the end of the greatest first term in presidential history, it's only the beginning of our fight to make America great again. So the official concession 
of the 2020 election that the president had refused to make for months in the wake of the election. Uh, now the president signaling there will be an orderly transition. Uh, not clear where we go from here today, guys. We saw a raft of resignations uh, from the White House staff last night as uh, staffers were appalled by the conduct of the president, what they saw in the streets of the nation's capital yesterday. Uh, we can expect, I think, some more of that. There has been talk of where to go next. Is there an impeachment up on Capitol Hill? Does uh, someone in the cabinet try to invoke the 25th Amendment and end the president's term uh, early, before January 20th? All of that seems embryonic at best at this point and unlikely uh, at this point. Back over to you. Eamon, in terms of uh, the rebuke, you know, we saw rebukes, if you will, of both the president, of uh, the extremists that were uh, that, that, that took that took the Capitol uh, from CEOs uh, across America uh, yesterday. I, I think like so many other Americans, they were just so disgusted with with what was uh, on display. Um, when you think about the the enablers that have allowed a lot of this to happen, do you think that this changes uh, any of the dynamic in, in Washington going forward? You know, for the enablers themselves, I don't think so. The hardest core group uh, is living in a, in a reality in which they uh, this all makes sense in their brains, right? I mean, you saw Rudy Giuliani yesterday uh, on the ellipse at the National Mall uh, calling for trial by combat. If we're wrong, we will be made fools of. But if we're right, a lot of them will go to jail. So let's have trial by combat. Speaking to the very group that would then march down to the Capitol and storm it and fight Capitol Police and storm the House and Senate floors, the very temple of our democracy. Uh, you know, Rudy Giuliani is not likely to be transformed by what happened yesterday. I think, uh, if anything, there will be a hardening. And, you know, my concern, frankly, Andrew, is that uh, these uh, Trumpist forces had a success yesterday, and they were able to stop the constitutional process. They were able to uh, force the Vice President of the United States and the Senate to scurry for cover. They took the floors. They controlled them unrestricted for a long period of time yesterday. Uh, and I think they will view that uh, as, a, as a big win. And I think that's a big recruiting uh, calling card uh, for that group uh, to say, look, we're the ones standing up, join us. I think their ranks might swell as a result of this. And, and I think that's the, the alarming and concerning thing. I mean, four people died yesterday. In this I mean, it, this it, wasn't it, just some harmless prank. And it was, it was on the same day that it had to be apparent to President Trump that his petulance in not accepting the results. And, and maybe, you know, what was it, November 4th? Go two weeks. Exhaust your possibilities with, with lawsuits, with the courts. You didn't like the outcome. That should have been clear at that point. So taking it yeah. to the next level again and again and again and again to the point where you lose Georgia for your party, where you're essentially burning the, the, the house down, and now you've lost the Senate and still not to be able to realize, you know, that the, there's your words and your actions have effects. And then to incite that yesterday, I mean, it's, it is beyond the pay. I, I, I did see someone yesterday, Eamon, and, and this is something to keep in mind. The people that elected Donald Trump and, and the people that voted for him uh, the second time, they, you know, winning half the states, there are different 
types of Trump supporters. There's the, the hardcore MAGA people, and some of those uh, were the ones that stormed the Capitol. And then there's, there's everyday Republicans that knew, you know, knew about Trump's downside, but like the Supreme Court uh, appointments, like uh, what went on in the Middle East, like what went on with corporate taxes, like what went on with deregulation, and backed the, the nominee of the Republican Party, who, who was the nominee again. So uh, those people are all gone. I think at this point, the only people left are the the MAGA types that it doesn't matter what he does, I think, at this point. But I mean, I'm not I sure that's right, how- Joe. I mean, in the sense that in the sense that we saw scores of Republicans yesterday after the attack on the Capitol continue to vote to object to the Electoral College count of the election results from yesterday. I guess Those are Republicans they, they who are looking too, at the though, base that, and saying, right. we need, that's right, they're looking at the but, base and saying, we need right. to be on the side of this base, and that's what this base wants. Right, there's still a lot of people that, that, right. that, have, that aren't sure that it, and, and for whatever reason, and Trump has inspired a lot of that, obviously, which is wrong. Well, because, because they've been lied over. to, Joe, they've been lied right. to. They've right. been fed lies, and, right. and, and they believe them because they're in an ecosystem where that's all they get. That's the problem. Right. These but these claims were rejected by court after court after court across the country, up to and including the Supreme Court of the United States. There is no evidence of any fraud in this election that's significant enough to overturn this result. If there was, it would have been presented in court and it would have moved forward in the legal process. That well, didn't it, happen. The, the in legacy, fact, those claims it, it, were laughed out of those courts. No, and yet I, those those core group of Trump supporters continue to try to block the election results. And, and the reason is because there's a large group in American politics uh, that believes this stuff. And those politicians are currying, currying to that group as a political force for the future. So when you say that, that this is done and that this is over, I don't think that's right. I think that there are politicians, and you saw them on display last night, who, who are trying to take the mantle of this movement uh, into the next election cycle and be the vanguard of that uh, in a post-Trump sort of political future. I, I, think, I, I wasn't talking uh, about politicians, Damon. I wasn't talking about politicians. I'm talking about sure. the, the number of, of votes in the voting public. It was, it was just whatever he had last time, it's been cut at least in half for most people, for, for, you know, for everyday Republicans that, that espouse conservative values and have always espoused those. And, and th- so running again in four years, impossible. Um, will he be a factor with his base over the next four years and, and perhaps in, in a media fashion? That, that's possible as well. But the legacy, what was left of it, and there were some you know, everyday Republicans would say there were some good things that happened. But the legacy is, is gone at this point because of the, you know, the, the petulance and, and childishness and that now came back to haunt him. There are, you know, now we see that there are going to be repercussions when you speak like that and when you incite things like that. And, I, and this is ne- the stain is never going to come off from what happened yesterday, ever. No. It wasn't just scores of Republicans. It was 138 members of the House who voted to overturn Pennsylvania's uh, results from the Electoral College and, and, and seven senators. And they may be fighting for the Trump voters who are out there. Trump's going to be sticking around and trying to fight for those voters as well. But it just makes you wonder what happens to the Republican Party and to the Democratic Party as a result. I mean, look, there's a deep fundamental split in the Republican Party between I guess you could say that the Mitch McConnell faction, uh, which views all this as outlandish and destructive to American democracy, and you saw McConnell uh, sort of 
throw his entire political force against this yesterday in the Senate floor, trying to stop this. The clockwork of our democracy has carried on. The United States and the United States Congress have faced down much greater threats than the unhinged crowd we saw today. They tried to disrupt our democracy. They failed. They failed. Even before we saw the riot and insurrection behavior by the Trump supporters, he was trying to stop the effort to block the Electoral College count as, as a, a travesty to American democracy. Uh, so that, that group is sort of, for lack of a better word, call it the Republican establishment. Uh, and then you have the sort of uh, Trump loyalists uh, who are acting uh, you know, in their own self-interest, trying to harness the political power of that group that you saw storming the Capitol yesterday because they represent a much broader group in American society uh, right. and, and trying to, to harness that you know, to what end, I don't know, other than advancement of their own political careers, uh, what's the sort of ideological or political outlook of that group in a post-Trump future? It's not clear because their entire focus right now is on Trump himself, not necessarily political policies. I mean, they were waving Trump flags at the U.S. Capitol as they stormed it yesterday. And there were some American flags there and there were some don't tread on me flags there. Uh, but this is a movement about Trump personally, not necessarily about policy, ideology, and that sort of thing. It's, it's, a, it's about one personality. Eamon, before we let you go, how concerned are you about a, 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 an almost separatist-style movement in the United States, something we have not seen? And speak, if you could, because I know there are so many people with questions, including myself, about the security on Capitol Hill, and if there's anything we've learned overnight about what clearly went wrong along the way. Well, I mean... Look, there is sort of a nascent separatist effort here uh, in the United States, and, and we have seen it before. We saw it in the Civil War. Uh, we haven't seen it since then a a in any real way. I mean, what we're seeing is fringe, uh, sort of QAnon-fueled conspiracy theory movement uh, trying to establish itself in the mainstream of American politics. Uh, there, there's... There doesn't seem to be any coherent goal to that right now. It is entirely focused on the personality of President Trump himself. Uh, but at some point, you know, that movement could be harnessed by some uh, perhaps more able politician uh, to do unknown things at this point. So that is alarming, right? Um, and then what was your second question, Andrew? I'm sorry. Just the, the complete lack of policing uh, at least the, what appeared yeah. to be the lack of policing during this remarkable and sad episode. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I've spent years of my career working in the Capitol building. That is a secure complex. Um, the, there are very few entry points to the Capitol building itself, relatively. It's more wide open than the White House complex, for example. Uh, but the Capitol Police is a large, robust police force with all of the security accoutrement that you can think of. They're used to doing big security events. They do uh, States of the Union events. They do all sorts of things. They would have been on the highest alert yesterday because this was known uh, that this group was rallying in town. There were visible threats to the Capitol on social media among these uh, the supporters of this group. Uh, all of that was well known in advance, and yet they were still overwhelmed. And the question is why? 
Why were they overwhelmed? Was this simply incompetence in which uh, the, the Capitol Police did not deploy enough officers to the right locations to stop the perimeter from bre being breached? Uh, or was there some other failure here? And I think there, there's going to be an investigation, uh, and we're going to find out a lot more about what happened here. The Capitol complex is, is rimmed with video cameras. There, there will likely be video uh, that could be obtained by investigative committees of what happened at these entry points uh, when these protesters stormed it. Were the Capitol Police on duty simply trampled and overrun? We saw one video yesterday of a Capitol Police officer in full retreat, running backwards up the stairs just outside the Senate floor, being chased by a group of Trump supporters uh, and clearly afraid for his physical safety, retreating and calling on his uh, communications device, uh, calling for, for backup support. He was alone outside the Senate steps. Uh, he was feet from the Senate floor, the last man defending the Senate floor in that video. Uh, he was soon backed up by about four other Capitol Police officers, but that force was woefully insufficient for the threat that they were facing. And the question is, why? Amy, I want to thank you uh, for helping us through it. Next on Squawk Pod, former White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney on a remarkable day. The country is much more divided than I expected. I never thought I would see the day when American citizens would invade the Capitol. And how history will remember it. The legacy of the president was ruined yesterday. The legacy of Donald Trump is now what happened yesterday at one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and that's a real shame. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. President Trump's allies are speaking out against the disturbing scenes at the U.S. Capitol building yesterday when a mob breached both chambers of Congress. The pro-Trump crowd was trying to block the Electoral College's certification vote in a last-ditch effort to prevent the Joe Biden presidency. But this didn't happen in a vacuum. In the days leading up to yesterday's vote, historically a ceremonial event, usually it takes under an hour to complete. There were many calls from Republican lawmakers and the president to block it, to gum up the process of the very last step before a peaceful transfer of power. Following yesterday's anything but peaceful afternoon and evening, multiple White House advisors have issued harsh rebukes of the chaos at the U.S. Capitol, and some staffers even resigned. That brings us to a former White House insider. He was acting chief of staff, OMB director, and a key surrogate for the president's agenda, Mick Mulvaney. He joined us this morning to say that what happened yesterday isn't the Trump administration he knew, and he's stepping down from his last official role. The tweet that uh, you saw Dan Scavino put out last night, which I can only assume um, was authorized by the president, would be, uh, not be at all expected that Dan Scavino would put out a tweet on his own on something of that gravity. Um, but that's what should have been out six weeks ago um, to say, that, look, we're going to continue to investigate this. There'll be investigations after the January 20th, but there will be an, a, a smooth transition of powers, which should have come out six weeks ago. Certainly, uh, you're right. I think the Republicans would control the Senate if that had happened. And certainly we would not have had that embarrassment, uh, that international just travesty uh, from last night. That's, uh, that's a little bit too little too late, I think, from the president um, overnight. Were you surprised at, 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 at how far this has been? How do you think it, it, it happened? We know uh, all the, we've, we've been inundated with a lot of the president's character flaws. They're, they're well known uh, that we've seen over the, the past four years. Have you been uh, surprised by the extent of, of how those have manifested themselves uh, post-election? 
Yeah, two things I think caught me uh, as I was watching yesterday. Number one, the, the president had always in the past had sort of, you know, he'd thrown out hyperbolic ideas. He'd say something in meeting about why won't we do X? And everybody knew that was that was a bridge too far. You tell him, no, Mr. President, that's that's not how it works. He goes, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. That, that he thinks out loud. That's that's what he does. It's one of his mannerisms. Um, what I think you saw yesterday was the result of an entirely different group of advisors inside the White House, who instead of sort of saying, oh, Mr. President, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about that, saying, oh, yeah, that's, that's a great idea, Mr. President. I mean, you've got folks like Peter Navarro, Lynn Wood, and, and Rudy Giuliani in the inner circle in the, in, the, in the White House right now, and certainly saw a manifestation of that. That was much different than I expected. But the thing I think, Joe, that we need to talk about as a country is that there was a large number of people, a large group of people yesterday who were willing to do this, that if, if the president of the United States went on stage and said, go march down the street and, and, and you know, invade the Capitol. And they did. That's what stunned me, um, because that was not the group of people that was working with the president when I was there. The president never asked us to do anything unethical or certainly illegal. And if he had, had we would have said, wait a second, stop. We're, we're not going to do that. But for some reason, there's a, there's a group of people in this country and a large section of this country that is so angry uh, and, and, and so disconnected that they were willing to do that yesterday. And I think that's as much of the story from yesterday as the president, if not more so. The country is much more divided than I expected. I never thought I had dinner last night with my children. I told them I never thought I would see the day when American citizens would, would, would invade the Capitol in order to prevent a transition of power. Um, and as right as we are, I think, to be condemning the president for his role in this last night, I think we all have a lot of soul searching to do as to what allowed that to happen uh, amongst the population as well. So it's going to be a, a long time, I think, before we fully digest what happened yesterday. Andrew? Mick, I have, I have a personal question for you, and we've known each other a long time, um, and I've enjoyed our conversations, but I, I just want to ask it to you straight up. Do you feel at all, in retrospect, that you were an enabler as one of the people who ultimately supported the president, knowing what you knew about his character flaws? Uh, you know, Joe just mentioned the character flaws. There were, the character flaws were well known. The proclivity for lying was well known. The proclivity to incite was well known. And uh, while I, I know you agreed ideologically, I think with with a lot of the uh, economic proposals and other things, uh, it did require a lot of people to look the other way. And I, I wonder what you think about that today. Andrew, it's a fair question. Listen, I, I, like I said, I talked about this at great length with my family. We have three adult children now. They turn 21 next week. So it was a, a really good conversation as a family. Um, and, and, and the answer is, I, I don't know what I feel yet entirely. I, I can tell you this. Um, there are most of us, almost all of us, except I guess the people who are on the inner circle right now, who didn't sign up for what you saw last night. We signed up for for making America great again. We have signed up for, for lower taxes and less regulation. Um, the president has a long list of successes that we can be proud of. Um, for example, you could go and talk about the lowest unemployment rate for African-Americans in history. You could talk about the fact he's the first president in recent memory not to start a war overseas during his term. There's great successes there that we can take pride in. But all of that went away yesterday. And I think you're right to ask the question as to how did it happen? All I can tell you is that when I was in the building, the president that you saw, and you ask a fair question, I'll ask you a fair question. Do you think that maybe the, 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 the Donald Trump that came across in the media over the course of the last three years was the real Donald Trump? There's certainly parts and portions of that. Um, but face it, you saw him through a filter. We didn't. Yes, like I said before, there's, hy there's hyperbole, there's ideas, there's thinking out loud, it's how he works. But I never saw that 
uh, in the White House when I was there. I never saw him saying, you know what, I'm so angry, I'm going to blow the whole place up. I'm going to burn the whole place down. He didn't have that. The thing that I wrote in the Wall Street Journal, I wrote because I believed we had come to him sometimes with, with ideas. And he said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. That's not presidential. Those are true stories. That's the president that we knew uh, or that uh, when we were there. Clearly, he is not the same as he was eight months ago. And certainly the people advising him are not the same as they were eight months ago. And that leads to a dangerous sort of combination, as you saw yesterday. But it's a fair question. I don't, I, I don't reject. I don't know entirely how I feel. And I imagine a lot of folks in the building, a lot of folks who served him from the beginning who are no longer in the building, are asking the same things this morning. And Nick, you bring up the point that you don't think he's the same person that he was eight months ago. There has been this, this talk, this reported talk, at least among some people who are in the building, uh, potentially some cabinet members and potentially some Republican senators, the idea of in invoking the, the 25th Amendment to, to remove a president that they don't think is capable of serving. Would, would you put yourself in that category or you just you just don't know enough about what's happening right now? It's not fair. I haven't talked to the president enough in the last eight months. I think I've talked to him, you know, three or four half dozen times, a couple of texts here and there, that type of thing. So I, I don't have an insight as to what's going on in his mind. Certainly, I do talk to my friends who are in there. And it's not at all surprising. Let's back into it. OK, um, you don't get to where you got to yesterday uh, with with something that's normal. OK, that, that's not normal activity for for any citizen, uh, let alone a president of the United States. Uh, so it's not surprising that you're hearing that discussion this morning. And in fact, I certainly think that a lot of folks are wondering if I do resign today, uh, who's going to take my place? And, and will it make it better or will it make mm -hmm. it worse? Are you going to replace me with somebody yeah. who's much closer to the folks who are advising him now inside the White House? So uh, th 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 there's soul searching going on at a bunch of different levels. It also doesn't surprise me. Um, actually, it does surprise. It didn't surprise me that the House introduced articles of impeachment yesterday. It just surprised me that they all went home. Um, that was stunning to me. That they wouldn't stick around and debate that yeah. for a while. So uh, nothing is off the table, as you saw yesterday. When the president of the United States encourages people to interrupt a constitutional process and violently have an insurrection against the government of the United States, then nothing is off the table in terms of the discussion that comes after that. Let's talk a little bit more about that tweet from from Scavino that came out. A lot of people from Dan Scavino have pointed to this as a concession tweet um, from the president, but it's really not. I just want to read it again. Even though I totally disagree with the outcome of the election and the facts bear me out, nevertheless, there will be an orderly transition on January 20th. I have always said we would continue our fight to con to ensure that the only that only legal votes were counted. While this represents the end of his presidency, and this probably is from the president, when you read this language, the greatest first term in presidential history, it's only the beginning of our fight to make America great again. I mean, that, that's not a concession speech. He's conceding that he's going to be leaving the White House, I guess, uh, on January 20th, and that there will be this orderly transition of power. People always say Hillary Clinton never accepted uh, the, the, the facts. But I went back and I looked at her concession speech, and this is the concession speech she gave just after the election. Last night, I congratulated Donald Trump and offered to work with him on behalf of our country. I hope that he will be a successful president for all Americans. This is not the outcome we wanted or we worked so hard for. And I'm sorry that we did not win this election for the values we share and the vision we hold for our country. I mean, that's just totally different. Do you think we'll ever get a concession from this president? It's unlikely. And again, it, it, with all due respect, I think you're splitting hairs. It was never likely that the president was going to issue a traditional concession speech. And that's not unusual. I, I'm still waiting for concession speeches from opponents when I had 10 years ago. So a lot of politicians don't concede. And again, it doesn't really make any difference legally. Certainly, it's a custom in this country. 
um, but it's not. It doesn't have any legal bearing. Uh, go back to the to the import of that statement. Though. That statement that came out last night needed to come out six weeks ago. And if it had, um, the Republicans would control the Senate. You would not have had this uh, this event yesterday. It's a timing issue. That statement, I guess, is fine, uh, assuming it came six weeks ago. As of last night, I don't think it changes anything. I think the legacy of the president was ruined yesterday. Um, instead of looking back now at all the things that he achieved, you mentioned the, the greatest in his tweet, he says the greatest first term in, in presidential history. Certainly, he had an argument for a bunch of successes in those first four years. I've mentioned the low unemployment rates with all the minority groups. We talk about the taxes. Uh, we talk about the economic growth. Talk about the, the, the lack of overseas wars. Those are tremendous successes. All of that is gone. All that is going on. The, the legacy of Donald Trump is now what happened yesterday at one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and that's a real shame, by the way. And that's what I really think hurts those of us who worked so hard to help make it happen. The folks who, who spent time away from our families, put our careers on the line to go work for Donald Trump. And we did have those successes to look back at. But now it will always be, oh, yeah, you work for the guy um, who tried to uh, to overtake the government. Um, that right. legacy is gone as of yesterday. And that's a uh, that's extraordinarily disappointing to those of us who worked for it. Nick, you want to make the point that you're still part of the administration, but not as of when? As of today, you're envoy to, to yeah. Ireland? Yeah. You know, I, I, again, I talked about it last night with my family. I called Pompeo. I'm the special envoy to Northern Ireland, and uh, it's, it's, it's a small job. It's a part-time gig, but it's, it's all I've got in, these, in the administration. I called Mike Pompeo last night, left him a note, let him tell him that I'd be resigning from that. I just I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't stay. It's a, it's a nothing thing. It doesn't affect the outcome. It doesn't affect the transition, but it's, it's what I've got, right? And it's a position I really enjoy doing, but you can't do it. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see more of my, uh, my friends um, resign over the course of the next uh, 24 to 4 hours. It would be completely understandable uh, if they did. If those of those who, who choose to stay, and I have talked to a couple of them, are choosing to stay because they are concerned that the president might put someone in to replace them that could make things even worse. So uh, I, I don't, I'm not condemning those who, who, uh, who choose not to resign. I understand that. Uh, but I can't stay here. I, I, not after yesterday. You can't look at that yesterday and think I want to be a part of that in any way, shape, or form. I think there's some real heroes yesterday. Uh, Mike Pence um, really proved himself yesterday. Uh, to, 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 that was a historic thing that he did to, to, to stand up for the Constitution. But Robert O'Brien backing the president. I don't think folks understand how hard it is for Robert to do that, to back the vice president yesterday uh, at a time when I'm sure the vice president was not very popular uh, inside the Oval Office. Stephanie Grisham, uh, I thought her, her, her symbolic gesture yesterday was, was important. And certainly the Capitol Police are heroes from yesterday. But there's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of folks, I think, today who are Mitch doing McConnell's speech. Uh, pretty heartfelt speech, I thought, yesterday, too. Okay. Involved with this is a is a is a is a good question. All right, Mick, uh, Mick Mulvaney, thanks. I appreciate all the, the the frankness and 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 honesty. Thanks for being uh, with us today. Thanks, guys. Okay. Mulvaney resigned after rioters incited by the president veered away from his understanding of the Make America Great Again mission. Next on Squawk Pod, entrepreneur and activist John Hope Bryan asks, "How great was America, really?" This suggests that something's wrong with our business plan for this country, Andrew. We need to get our vision back, our hope back. We need a plan. We're back after this. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. We're joined uh, by John Hope Bryant, uh, the uh, head of Operation Hope, of course, uh, to Get his thoughts about uh, what took place yesterday, but also where we go from here. 
John, just give, give us your sort of initial impressions as you watched this play out yesterday. Uh, hi, Andrew. I'm, I was heartbroken. Um, and I talked to Ambassador Andrew Young uh, immediately after. Uh, for those who are not totally familiar, he was on that balcony with Dr. King when he was assassinated uh, in 1968, pointing to the shooter. Uh, but he had been pointing the problems, he and Dr. King, for a decade before that. They'd been warning. Uh, they'd come to Washington on a march saying, we're here to present a check, march non-sufficient funds. That march was totally non-violent. Uh, they called for the best of America, Andrew. And uh, we, he and I agree on several things. Number one, that America is an idea. She's not a country. Uh, we can make her whatever we want to make her. And yesterday we made her a mockery. We made a, a mockery of our democracy. And we're better than this. Number two, um, what became clear, I got a text from the, the future leader, the king of, of one of the countries in Europe, uh, who is an investor. And he said, what's going on in your country? This is, this is heartbreaking. And what became clear, Andrew, is that this is bad for business. And this is why I want your audience to understand very clearly is that this became broadcast all around the world. And this is very much like the 60s, Andrew, where uh, you had local leaders in that case. You had governors and you had mayors, um, Bull Connor, as an example, who stood in that, 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 dry, that walkway and said, uh, you will not get past me beyond my dead body will we have access. You're having that happening at the federal level now. Uh, but it was the private sector, Andrew, that stepped, up, that stepped up and integrated the South. It was the private sector, not government, that said, enough of this, knock it off, take down the whites-only signs. It's bad for business. It's bad for investment. It's bad for our brand. It's bad for our image. Of course, it's immoral. It's unethical. It's, 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 it's repugnant. It's disgusting. But it's also, for those who are just bottom line watching this, who want a reason to act. It's just bad for business. It's bad for America. It's not how we sell a growth of our country. I think the last thing that hits me is that this is, and, and I, I in no way um, do anything but condemn what happened yesterday with these rioters, but I do understand that this is a 70-year-old broken ladder that we saw in Washington yesterday, Andrew. This is, this is, this is poverty. This is white, frustrated, high school educated, I've been left behind 70, Euro, Euro, 70 years ago, plus uh, with the Industrial Revolution poverty uh, that has been lied to and, and given misinformation. And they're easy, it's obviously some people are easily manipulated. So you have blacks and whites here in different ways uh, expressing their frustrations. This suggests that something's wrong with our business plan for this country, Andrew. We need to get our vision back, our hope back. We need a plan, as I keep saying, we need a business plan for this country that includes all of God's children and, and includes the rising up uh, in a positive way of people like Sam Walton, uh, who started Walmart with a high school education, not not rioting and, and breaking things down, but building things up and creating jobs or or all the black entrepreneurs who came from nothing uh, and built thousands and tens of thousands of jobs and opportunity and created wealth. The color has to become green again, not red or blue. But the color of U.S. currency, the color of aspiration, what we did in Atlanta uh, to turn that that city into a place of prosperity for all. Now, one of the, as you know, Andrew, one of the ten largest, I think, the tenth largest economy in the U.S., the only international city in the whole in the whole South, because we decided to argue over things that were important, like who got the prosperity and how to spread spread it around. 
not over stupid stuff like who goes to a water fountain, who gets into a building, race. And, and th this what happened in Washington, D.C., arguing over a non-issue, beating each other up, killing each other over a non-issue, over one man who's, who's not even a Republican, in my opinion. He's a Donald He's about himself. We've got to knock it off. We've got to stop it. And I, I like that the business leaders came out, uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal this morning, and, and, and did a bit of what I'm talking about here. Uh, people I know, Larry Fink of BlackRock and Jamie Dimon uh, of uh, J.B. Morgan Chase and others, and said, uh, in words as strong as what I'm saying now, this is, this is not the America that they know, and it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's immoral, it's unethical, and we need a plan. And as you know, I've proposed a new Marshall Plan, and I know you have the Problem Solvers Caucus coming on your program a little later and I commend them because because of them, we have the latest stimulus. These are Republicans and Democrats working together. I call it get it done party. Reasonable people, this, 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 this vibrant middle. This country is really not red or blue, it's fuchsia, right? You've got, you, you really got people with a Republican head, a Democratic heart saying, how do we bring this country together? That's what makes this country great, man. And I'm heartbroken, but I'm also hopeful. Rainbows after storms, and I'm, I'm hoping that this program is beginning and the conversations you're having are beginning of a conscience for capitalism and a rainbow after storm and public sector leaders who, who join together with the private sector to create jobs and opportunity and a, and a rebuild ladder uh, again for all. John, um, you know, there's some people who were hoping that, that even that yesterday's events could somehow become cathartic and, 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 and create a new moment here, which is, I know, something that, that you're hopeful for. The question I would ask, though, is whether you look at the prospect of almost separatist style, uh, separatist style movement uh, now taking place on one side uh, in, in this regard around Trump. But we've had lots of, uh, quote unquote, protests, sometimes protests that have turned into riots and other things. How you think that the public should think about that and how should business think about it? I think that that's a false choice, Andrew. I know why you say it. I understand that as a good journalist, you're asking these questions. But people need to understand that in the long arc of history, bad people, movements of bad people have never succeeded. They've had a moment. They've had five years. They've had three years. They've had 10 years. They've had 20 years. Uh, we, from the Middle East to Europe, uh, we can name the names, uh, to Latin America, to the U.S., but they've never succeeded. It's always fallen because we are basically a nation and a world made for good and we learn bad. That badness is, badness is nothing more than failed goodness. Light, darkness has no definition except for light. We are a nation of values, of spirituality, of hope, of opportunity. We are, we are family, man. We are, we, I am, I, in my blood, in my, in my veins, I have white, white blood and Latino blood and Asian blood and Indian blood and black blood and African blood. We all are of us. If we take a DNA test, we'll probably pass out because most people watching this program are of mixed race uh, and it probably have black blood in their body, too. We got to knock it off and understand that this that we're having a transactional conversation, but we're in relationship with each other. We are. You can take no pleasure in the fact there's a hole in my end of our boat. So what's going on now here is a is is a fight without a premise. In fact, it's a fight without a, 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 any positive outcome that's even possible. Uh, this leads nowhere. This, this is nothing more than a symptom of the problem. And so I don't think that this is a separatist movement. We need to put nutcases in jail. We need to do what, what, what uh, the mayor of Atlanta, a black mayor of Atlanta, said to black so-called leaders, young people, 
I respect your protest. Do that. But when you start rioting, I'm putting you in jail. Stand down right now. We're the city of, she said in Atlanta, we're the city of civil rights. How dare you? Now, if 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 a black leader in Atlanta can say that to black people, then then surely my white brothers and sisters can say that to their fellow white brothers and sisters. Stand down. This is en enough. Knock it off. Wrong is wrong is right is right. I think that there's no vision here, Andrew. Dr. King didn't go to the mall and say, I have a dream that GDP will grow by 2% a year. He said, I have a dream. So we lack for a dream. We lack for a business plan that we can all sign up for. We need a decade of infrastructure that'll put people to work who have a high school education and rebuild our infrastructure. We need a decade of internships. And I'm talking about millions of internships that repair the ladder from high school to uh, opportunity of internships and apprenticeships like the new Marshall, like the Marshall Plan, Andrew, after World War II. We need a we, we need education for all. We get the we get the majority of people who have a college education right now. Just under half have a high school education. You cannot be the, the leader of the free world and have half of your people with a high school education. We need financial literacy for all. I'm already working with uh, private sector leaders on trying to get legislation to, to fund financial literacy K through college so that people understand this capitalist system. They watch this program, Andrew. They don't know what you're talking about. Most people because they don't understand. No, they never talk how the system works, how capitalism works, how wealth works. So they want to tear it up because they don't understand how to build it up for themselves. Uh, I, I, I reject a separatist movement. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't even make any sense to me. John Hope Bryan, I uh, want to thank you this morning uh, for putting this in context and uh, for offering a, a, a plan uh, uh, and, and maybe some hope as well. And we always appreciate uh, having the opportunity to speak with you, and especially on days like this. And that's Squawk Pod. Please check out our feed tomorrow. We'll bring you a conversation you don't want to miss with David Rubenstein, the philanthropist and business leader responding to a dark day in the very halls of democracy. I do think we should take a longer term perspective on how to make certain that we once again become a beacon for democracy around the world and not a laughing stock for democracy around the world. And that's what we've become today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow. <laughs>